Audio nourishment for the heart and mind with Brian Delaney and Tave Fashe Drake. To me, that would be the only time. Courage is not having the strength to go on. It is going on when you don't have the strength. Theodore Roosevelt. dedicate this episode to those lost in recent years. I'd personally like to honor my Uncle George, a compassionate and creative soul. He was such a calm force in this hectic world. For me, it was Steve Buchert, healthy, vibrant, and turning cartwheels weeks before passing. People come into our lives at pivotal moments, and Steve helped me buy our family home 18 years ago. We became fast friends. We carry their memories with us. As the pandemic continues to evolve, this, our second COVID episode, goes beyond the initial fear of the unknown and focuses instead on adjusting and moving forward. Remember the great yeast shortage of 2020 that created a sourdough baking rage? That's right. We made a how-to video in lockdown, and our listeners can find it on YouTube or on our website, peaceloveandsoup.com, under cooking. Zoom, 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 ah, zoom revolutionized our work and social lives. We set up our very own studio and have been working remotely ever since. With music events canceled, a bandmate and I co-founded Mirador Magazine for the enjoyment of those experiencing dementia-related illness, brain trauma, or other cognitive impairments, and their families and communities. In this episode, Brian makes Italian wedding soup with his aunt, Bridget Delaney Masana, on good old Cape Cod. I also get some free health advice from integrated dietitian Esther Blum while dishing about bone broth and bar mitzvahs with her son, Ben. Our guest correspondent, Nathan Wilk, shares with us a plethora of youth perspectives on reacclimating during COVID. Jolly Rapper performs a slam poem he wrote during the height of Portland's social uprisings. And the new album, I Am Happy Now, It's Not How I Remember, by Annie's friend, a.k.a. Lucinda Drake, is our soundtrack. Speaking of which, Tave checks in with the two Gen Zers closest to her heart, daughters Osana and Lucinda. They discuss social, emotional, and environmental health, all in this episode we call Peace, Love, and Soup in the Time of COVID, Batch 2, Acclamation. Our memories still make me feel warm. Do you think about them? Reacclimation is difficult, but we're all doing it. Certainly the COVID-19 pandemic persists today. It's been over a year since the first COVID-19 vaccination. In that time, we've had the opportunity to re-examine who we are and what the people around us mean to our lives. 
When isolation struck suddenly, it led to wildly different experiences on the basis of age, with young people just a few years apart iced out at totally different points of social and academic development. So I've been talking to people my age about these experiences and what it looks like going forward for their lives, and I'm happy to share the results here with you today on Peace, Love, and Soup. Lockdown was definitely like a blur doing one thing for one, two years. I kind of just blocked it out. I didn't do any introspection until much later because I just wasn't ready to process it. It's a huge gap from memory. I can't remember anything. One of the most memorable things was the severe social isolation, which often stretched beyond just the physical limitations of being in a pandemic. Before, I was really eloquent in talking to people and expressing myself unapologetically. But then lockdown happened, and for some reason, I feel like it gave me an excuse to just shut everyone out. That spiraled into a lot of social anxiety. There were people trying to reach out to me, but then you got to deal with that feeling of not having energy. I really kind of shrunk my social circle a lot because I didn't have those interactions at school or at meetings or at clubs where I could see people once a week and we would be acquaintances. Instead, the relationships that were possible got very, very close. We kind of just latched onto each other and FaceTime from morning to night to support each other. But looking back now, it was unhealthy and created this feeling of like, I don't know who I am anymore without you. I look back at the time when I could just like sit at home with my family all day, the people most important to me, and I think about it a lot, really fondly. Online school was a transition. For some, it was much more difficult to focus. There's no motivation to do online school. I missed one class and then like it just snowballed from there. I missed more classes. I really kind of accepted that I didn't have to constantly be busy or be working on projects. And I think it was really nice for me, but also it was a challenge. I had to relearn how to keep a schedule and get things done. For others, the flexibility of the format afforded them the time to work on hobbies and skills. I started cooking a lot, and so now I cook every meal. It saved me a lot of money. I was kind of learning how to record music, making songs every day. During the pandemic, there was a surge in activism around police violence. I was close enough to one of the police precincts that I could hear the loudspeakers go off and the police declare it a riot. I um, saw the organizing that people had done and it was really amazing. It kind of gave me hope in the power of grassroots organizing, seeing all the mutual aid, all the food set up, and seeing a lot of the climate justice groups that I'd worked with really kind of shift over to racial justice. Reopenings allowed social engagement, but reacclimating was easier for some than others. I used to be like such an introvert, and I miss social interaction so much that I was just like, I can't have time to be shy or be afraid of people. So I had like this desire to try to experience everything. I was so afraid of being in lockdown again and losing all of it. Lockdown left me with a lot more social anxiety than I had coming in. I was thinking, oh gosh, I just wish that I went back to who I was before lockdown. But like, you know, I'm never going to be her again. But those I talked to overwhelmingly said this. During the COVID-19 pandemic, regardless of their age, they felt like they grew up a lot. 
going back into the world after COVID, I was able to look at the world from a perspective without the weird high school social norms. I feel like a completely different person. I definitely feel more responsible. It left me with new elements of myself that I didn't have before lockdown, and now I have to grow and become my own person from those elements. And as for hope for the future... Yeah, you kind of have to have hope. You have to. This is Nathan Wilk for Peace, Love, and Soup, signing off. And how old are you? 18. <laughs> I'm 18 and I'm crazy. I'm 18 and I'm crazy. In a couple of years, maybe I'll learn that this it's just what it feels like to be young away and keep my hands in my pockets to feel sane if I learn nothing from it. What's even the point of the last year or two? Maybe that it makes a nice refrain. Well, here it is. I'm 18 and backyard of my dear friend Esther Blum. So happy you're here Brian. And her son Ben who appeared on our second episode actually. Thank you it's great to be here. I have you in front of me because I wanted to ask both of you about COVID. Esther do you think this is experience is building a resilience in children? I really hope so. I hope that they don't take the trauma of it home with them. This will define their generation for sure but it's also gonna be a blip in time, and it will be for all of us at some point. The Spanish flu ended, and guess what happened after? The Roaring Twenties. So we will be okay. My heart goes out to people who lost their jobs, people who are experiencing severe financial hardship, or people who were unhappily married and had to coexist in the home. And Jeremy, my husband, we didn't have any of that. We had a lot of love. We all got really close and made the most of COVID. The boys help cooking and cleaning. All of that was amazing. So there were a lot of upsides. There really were. And what comes to mind other than family time? My business had a great year. I'm an integrative dietitian, so I think people are finally understanding the importance of physical health and how that translates into mental health and longevity. What were, say, the top three things that your clients came to you for during COVID times? It's always weight loss, but also I treat women going through menopause. The work I do entails eliminating all those symptoms and getting hormones balanced, either through nutrition and or hormone replacement. So through being an advocate, I help bridge the gap between my patients and their doctors. And if the doctors aren't hearing them or refuse to prescribe them hormones, I help my patients find a new doctor. It's just that simple. The gap in medical care is only getting wider, and I really saw that in COVID. Now, this may be controversial, but what's your thought on vaccinations? Yeah, I did vaccinate myself. We're all vaccinated. Ben's school requires it. And I looked at the science, and the benefits outweighed the risks. I know it's very imperfect because it's still evolving. It seems to protect from hospitalizations and death. You know, we thought it protected us from variants. 
I do know people who have gotten vaccinated and then did get the Delta variant, but it's too early to know. I don't think we'll have any real understanding for about 10 years out. And there's a whole wing of science being developed because of COVID. You know, there were a lot of conspiracy theories that it caused changes in DNA. And DNA makes RNA, but RNA does not make DNA. So it does not cause genetic changes. There's questions about fertility down the line. And I can tell you, it knocked my monthly cycles out for a couple cycles. Can that be explained or? From what I know, it means you produced a strong immune response. But you know, even if you just got one vaccine, it's about 80% effective. So if you have an active COVID outbreak, and this is published research on the flu and COVID, 100,000 units of vitamin D for three days knocks it out. It puts it in remission. I use it for cold and flu. I've been using it for treatment long before COVID came out. Most people need, if they're very low in vitamin D, 10,000 units a day to replenish. Then once your levels are good, you can take about 5,000 units a day. But the best thing is during the winter months, your body's really supposed to store enough vitamin D to get you through. So get out there without sunscreen if you're not going to burn for at least 15 minutes. There's a great book called Naked at Noon. If you can get out naked in the sun, get your genitals exposed even. What? I'm telling you, it's beneficial. Mm-hmm. Why the genitals? The perineum area is not an area that ever sees the sun. Ben, any comment on that? Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything because... <laughs> Um, Vitamin C, I love olive leaf extract. All of those are great immune boosters, but you really have to earn your supplements. So eating protein, vegetables, roots and tubers like sweet potatoes and white potatoes, fresh fruit, avocados, nuts and seeds, olive oil, olives. All of those are really nutritious. Most people are eating a lot of processed foods and a lot of sugar and booze, like the alcohol intake just skyrocketed with stress. You know, think about swapping out your booze for some lemon balm at night, which is super calming and takes the edge off. Passion flower to quiet a ruminating mind, some meditation, exercise, all of those are stress management for sure. Because when I'm stressed, I have to get in a hot bath and read a book and like chill the F out. Amen, sister. (laughs) Now, Ben, how did COVID impact you? COVID was a real test to see, like, how people hold up under pressure, and it really told us some valuable information. Speechless, because you're so right. You had planned your bar mitzvah, correct? Yeah, so when COVID hit, all we were thinking was we need to switch up the plan and make it smaller and, like, do it faster. And how much time had you spent preparing for your bar mitzvah? probably a year and then it got postponed so like another half year and what were you doing for that year learning scripture is that yeah, the correct word reading my Torah verse like over and over again to really memorize it we had a nice little ceremony and yeah so I'd say I read it pretty good and what was the theme of your reading it was a section about Passover and just for our non-Jewish audience what is Passover um <laughs> Well, you weren't expecting these tough questions on peace, love, and soup. I'm pretty sure Passover is the celebration of how the Jews got out of Egypt and wandered the desert for 40 years until we found Israel. And in modern society, how do you celebrate Passover? With family, and we have a nice Seder. You eat really good food, lots of soup. So let's talk soup. 
Yeah. <laughs> matzo ball soup? Yeah, matzo ball soup. Love it. Really good. But how do we make the chicken stock? Oh, yeah. So my mom takes chicken feet from this local butchery, and she makes this super good stock. And what is it good for? Let's ask your mom that question. Ah, so bone broth fortifies the integrity of the gut, and we know that about 70% of your lymph nodes line your intestinal tract. So if your intestinal tract is healthy, your immune system is supported. And all you need is a mug a day. I also use bone broth for the collagen. As we're recording this, Ben has a broken ankle. And so the collagen surrounds the bone matrix. So by giving him my broth, we are rebuilding his bones. I put in this chicken stock, chicken feet, and I always use an acid to pull the trace minerals out. So I'll throw in two cross sections of a lemon, and then I like to throw in carrot, onion, dill, water, and salt. And I cook it on low for 19 hours. Oh, wow. It's low and slow because you don't want to break the collagen strand. And so when you reheat your broth, you also want it to be intact. So you only heat it on low till you see steam coming up, but not a boil. There's a whole science to it. Thank you for that tip. Google Esther Blum making bone broth on Dr. Oz. You can see the step-by-step segment on the show. Oh, I love it. I love it. So then, sorry, back to the original question. That was our super side. Ben eloquently described his year. Um, from my perspective, you know, we lost my dad on May 2nd. The lockdown happened in March. So we really didn't get to see my dad the last eight weeks of his life. He was in a nursing facility. And I talked to him almost every day, but he got COVID. I should say he had a fever on a Tuesday and tested positive on a Friday. And then that Friday night passed away. Oh my God. So it was challenging. And my mom was in the same facility. And for my father and mother to be in the same unit, but not be able to see each other was really heartbreaking. So one other unique thing that was such an experience for so many people over COVID was the Zoom funeral. And at the time, we had a wonderful cantor who did the most amazing job with the Shiva services. So in Judaism, you have Shiva, which is the period for three to seven days after someone dies. And I had a few friends who dropped off food, but we couldn't take visitors inside the home. The upside was we were able to see family members all over the country, from California to Florida. I had a cousin who's in New Zealand, and, you know, everyone popped on the Zoom, people we hadn't seen in years, and they were all able to recount stories of my father. That was really special, and it went on for quite a long time. I was really amazed. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, and we had a very small funeral. It's just immediate family, and the funeral home live-streamed it. But it was so strange to see your family, but then not be able to physically hug or comfort them. I mean, it just goes against our nature as humans. We're wired for connection. And touch is just so important for your emotional well-being. Your father passed away the very beginning of COVID when everyone was frightened of everything. And from my perspective, I lost my uncle, but it was right as my second inoculation was through my system. I'm like, okay, let's get on a plane. Let's go east. Like, I was hugging cousins I don't even like. (laughs) And it felt wonderful. And I'm sorry that was stolen from you at that moment in time. If we really let ourselves think about it, we just get phenomenally sad. So we try to really focus on the positive, which was that, you know, we were able to reschedule Ben's bar mitzvah. 
It was the most perfect day for the ceremony. There was this really ethereal white light behind him. My dad was totally there with us. And now Ben, when he's 16, he's going to have a car mitzvah. <laughs> What's a car mitzvah? He gets a car? Yes. And Ben, do you want to tell everyone what you're going to get? Ooh, yeah. Um, I'm interested in a Toyota truck. Nice. Wait, what color? Ooh, probably black. Power I get duck. that, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you again. I love you both. Yeah, thank you so much. This was such a joy. Mwah. I love you. Mwah. Peace, love, and soup to you both. This is Esther Blum, integrative dietitian and author. You can follow me at Gorgeous Esther on Instagram or go to my website, estherblum.com. You're listening to Peace, Love, and Soup. I want to eat miso soup every day and a pint of strawberries, I'll be okay. With the salt and the fiber, my body will thrive and I'll live to the ripe age of 105. I want to take showers at 100 degrees, wash the sweat from my pores, burn the skin on my knees. With my soap, eucalyptus, I'll scrub clean my pits and think of existential things. I want to wear lingerie when I bake, a sexy bralette and a thong that chase. With this empowered feeling, I'll finish my cleaning and feast on the perfect souffle. I'm feeling jolly. Hey, Tave. I've never actually said your name. I normally just call you Lucinda's mom. Um, thanks for letting me be a part of this. Becoming a fact. Unlike my heart, my progress bars are staying intact. Call my mom and tell her that all of the money that she was investing in me, I'm making it back. Been chasing the bag, been making the cash, been making the stacks, been making the my name, Jolly Rapper, that's rapper with a W. I'ma be doing a spoken word poem. As a kid, I was into art, but I could never draw a perfect line. My hands were just too unsteady. Eventually, I got decent at drawing lines, gliding the pencil tip across the page ever so gently. I never knew what to draw. So I would always end up drawing lines. My hands just did what my mind was expressing. I figured out that every line I drew were just words, words I were suppressing. So I forced myself to stop drawing lines, but I couldn't help but question. Were the imperfect lines I refused to draw my only sense of acceptance, sense of protection, sense of direction, sense of a sensible sentence, my only sense of perfection? If I continued to fight this feeling of drawing lines, if I neglected, would that only cause me to want to make more lines in any form or substance? From soft graphite to gloopy ink to dripping paint on canvas, from bleeding sharpies to waxy crayons to grinding chalk in classes, from smudging charcoal to sculpting clay to stitching lines in fabrics, so many ways to create lines, I needed all the practice. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. You know what I just realized? Lines are everything. I know it might sound weird, but hear me out. Lines dictate our lives. How? 
Right now, you're all standing in lines here to watch a young poet recite his lines. And I know some of y'all were using Google Maps to get here, which means you followed a line. Palm readers read the what on your hands? The lines. An officer checks to see if you're tipsy by having you walk in a straight line. That same police officer shot and killed an innocent, unarmed black kid who was walking home from school. When the detectives arrived, they traced his cold, lifeless, limp body in a line of chalk. Society is teaching black kids to become tightrope walkers. Because if you walk these streets, you're walking a fine line and there's no safety net that'll break your fall. And that ain't a problem. Because the only way you'll fall is if they're caught slipping. They'll be grinning with pride. The trigger is lit in their eyes. They pull it, gripping it tight. You'll get hit from behind or hit from the side. And the officer will say something along the lines of, these things happen in this line of duty. But don't give us that line. We put up so many lines between each other, putting society in a box. Let's take those same lines and use them as a way to connect the dots. We as human beings are approaching the end of our time. So where do we draw the line? Bella says, when I tell you my anxieties, it makes me less convinced I'm dying. Bella says, Drake girls at home in the house. Hi Osana and Lucinda. Not that you are the spokespersons for any group or organization, but by way of being my children and people whose opinions I value, I'd like to ask you some questions about what COVID's been like and ask your thoughts on what's happening with our environment or societies these days. Lucinda Drake, mm -hmm. you were starting out in school. Yeah. COVID hit when I was second semester, first year of college. I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to stay on campus, obviously isolated. It was a bummer because right when everyone left was when I felt like I found my people. I'm an illustrator, but the first year at my school, we take classes in all different disciplines. I was doing a lot of sculpture. I was oil painting. My mental health got bad enough that I was not able to work on anything. That was scary because there's only been a couple times in my life where I felt very unmotivated. I realized, you know, I wasn't functioning. And so I decided to take a gap semester, which turned into a gap year, and that's what I'm on now. I'd been wanting to 
Wolf, which is World Work on Organic Farm. It's like a work trade. And so I was like, oh, this is a great time to do this. I was working with animals. I learned I'm quite good at milking goats. I can milk two-handed. I can milk one-handed. I learned a lot about seed sprouting. But more than that, I grew a lot in terms of interpersonal communication. And then I got a paid job at a bakery just five miles away from that first farm. And that agreement was I could live in this Airstream trailer if I worked at the bakery and then did seven to 10 hours a week of farm work. And that was a really sweet deal. But I dealt with a lot of sexual harassment so much so that I had to leave. I've never really had to communicate (laughs) needs or discomforts more than once because I have a really great group of friends and community caring and really empathetic but I realized there are people who make you unsafe and sometimes you still have to live around them or you don't and you can leave (laughs) but that's a place of privilege not everyone has that ability to move back home with parents who are caring yeah now I'm just making art for myself you know my mental health has gotten a lot better since I feel motivated again about my work Uh, I'm going back in January I'm excited to take classes again. I started doing stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll use yeah. some of your music. Sure, go ahead. Sonny, what was COVID like for you? It was pretty bad. Maybe like a three out of ten. Um, <laughs> my mental health definitely took a downward spiral. I feel like I haven't felt truly happy since before it all started. One thing that dawned on me throughout the whole experience was... I felt like I was going through a midlife crisis as a 20-something-year-old, or at least what I expect, (laughs) having not actually lived that long. I was a senior in college, so what was supposed to be my, like, grand finale just got cut short really abruptly, so I never actually got to say goodbye to most people I cared about. So that lack of closure was really hard. Some friends and I ended up finding new places to live every quarter, and it was really cool to have that opportunity to see so many new places and unexpected things came from that. The first place we went was my parents' house. It was fun to have the opportunity to reconnect with them as adults. After that, we San Diego. Super beautiful to live on the beach in a place called Del Mar, but this was during the election, so every Saturday morning, a parade of cars would blare their horns and fly Trump flags, which was unexpected, and some of my housemates were students of color and they felt really unsafe. Not ideal, you know. After that, we moved to San Francisco and loved living there. Being around people from all over, surrounded by an abundance of art, food, music, and just like everything that made you feel alive. And then we moved to Oakland. The Airbnb we were living in was this very beautiful, remodeled Victorian home in the middle of a street being actively gentrified. So that felt uncomfortable to feel myself perpetuating these harmful processes. And it also felt shocking to walk around and see everything closed in an area that had been so full of life before. And the final place was back to Palo Alto, where I'm currently living, with 10 other recent graduates, and we cook and clean together, all that good stuff. So I think I figured out what really brings me joy, how I can continue to be happy when things start to feel bored and stale. Yeah, was able to make those mistakes sooner so that I never will have to again because I, I know what matters to me. 
amazing the ups and the downs and then mm. where we end up yeah i i've always been fascinated by how change is made and specifically how can we drive positive change in this day and age when so much needs to be done i took another half a year to complete a master's and now i'm working full-time at oceana an ocean conservation organization as essentially a data scientist and I analyzed all the vessels in the world and which ones are fishing in sustainable ways, which ones are not. Our tagline is save the oceans, feed the world, which is super true. If we responsibly and sustainably manage our fisheries and keep our oceans healthy, they really can feed the world. Fish is an amazing source of protein and nutrients that does have the power to alleviate a lot of malnutrition in the developing world. And it's cool to see the work I do turning into news stories and senators voting on different bills and hopefully passing some laws we're really beating. Quite a large percent of the fish that we eat either was caught illegally, caught using slave labor. We work on things related to pollution, mostly related to plastics. We have offices in quite a few countries and our Brazil office just passed a major win where their largest food delivery app, almost like DoorDash, just pledged to remove all plastic from their packaging. So mm. when my fellowship ends, presumably next year, I'll start a PhD program. One question on the environment, where it crosses over into other things sort of socioeconomically. Do you want to say anything about that? Sure. I will say it's really frustrating to see lots of very well-meaning people who support ideas related to the environment that are just not accurate, productive, or helpful and can actually harm a lot of people. Just this weekend, I heard COVID killed so many people because, quote, the planet needs fewer humans on it. We need to make sure that we are not prioritizing a problematic interpretation of the environment over people's lives. Right. You know, Native peoples and Indigenous stewards have been taking care of these lands literally since time immemorial, and we need to continue to support them in their work. So if you're curious to learn more about how you can love the environment, love our natural spaces, I would urge you to look into environmental justice. Um, It's not people versus nature. It's how can we improve our relationship. And a lot of that is rethinking wide-scale policy. The environment is amazing and so important, and we will not be able to live on this planet if we do not care for it intelligently and empathetically. And this is becoming a more broadly understood concept, especially with the fires in California, because we're not maintaining traditional practices of controlled burning and have forced this very Western mentality that is super destructive. Like, fire is bad, we should be scared of it, and while doing so, actively evicting Native people from their land. And the reason we have quote-unquote pristine nature is because of the work that Native people have done cultivating healthy ecosystems and spaces for our environment to keep moving and flourishing. Yeah, exactly. Lucinda, you experienced some of the protests during 2020, us living here in Portland and the Black Lives Matter movement, and talk to me about your experience with that. Hmm. Because I am a white and straight-passing woman, I felt that I have a lot of protection. It's hard to talk about. 
I don't know. I don't think I'm the best person to talk about this. I went to some protests and some marches. White folks held up the line against the police. Because of that place of privilege, we were less likely to be hurt and less likely to be arrested. We got tear gassed first time. That was an experience. It was really painful to see such explicit hate directed at a group I have many friends in and to know just how present it is. Of course, racism still exists and big and awful, but knowing that it could also be very overt, you know, it's really heartbreaking. I think Portland is a homogenous place, a very white place full of people who would probably classify themselves as progressive, yet support bills that discriminate, take away funds from housing, support racist infrastructure, etc., etc. And also, there are people who can say, yeah, I'm progressive, yeah, I'm a liberal, without having to actually interact with anyone who doesn't look like them. Everyone needs to do so much more. It's still just as bad as it was last year. People are still being shot by police every day, black people. We all need to stay mad, so, so mad, and not stop just because we're not seeing the violence out our window still existing. And the idea that it's not is wrong. We all should feel angry. That's the best motivator. Do things and then do more and then don't ever stop doing that. You know, this is something that affects all of us. I totally agree. Good point. It is hard knowing the way that white people's voices are elevated yeah. over others. I don't want any of us to be a part of that problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen to people whose voices should be shared and heard right now. Mm. Sonia Renee Taylor on Instagram is amazing. She does video essays just on everything. There's another account called No White Saviors that's really good that points out and pushes back against the idea of white saviorism, which is... Very, very interesting. For all of us, keep learning, keep talking, keep doing. Really important. Eventually, as a society, I'd like to hope we're going to get there, where people are not treated differently for any reason. Race, religion, color, sexual orientation, gender, socioeconomic status, body size, or anything. Yeah. Mom, you worked so much to get here. I know your childhood looked so, so different from our childhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You fought poverty in a way that Sonia and I don't have to. Mm -hmm. But the place we are now is a place of stability, and we haven't had to experience the worst COVID death in our immediate family. Job loss in a way that made us sink. We have a mom who is educated enough to be able to access the programs for us. There are people who don't know the language well enough or know the community enough to take advantage of those services. Yeah. It's really, we're doing it. We're living we're through it. this time, and yeah. it's obviously a challenge for everybody, some more than others. And for young people, it's especially hard. But I'm delighted to get to re-meet the two of you as <laughs> adults. This is really something valuable. Ooh, I like that uh, reading of the situation. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful that you're always here with open arms, making sure that we always have somewhere to feel safe and cared for. It means a lot. I love you. Thank you, Osana and Lucinda. Aww, I love you, thank Mama. you. Bye. Bye. I love you so much.
What if today I pretend I'm worth more than six dollars? Or just find a person who also thinks pennies are perfect. It shouldn't be so hard. Cause I have such wonderful parents who've cared for me all the way through age 19. But that can still be how it seems. What if I kiss the cute boy in my writing class today? Or at least see if he's open to going out on a date? What if I see pictures that send me off sprinting from fear of a mustache or double chin? Sometimes I can be so frivolous. But even with my magic meds, some days I can't get out of my head. I guess I'm not fixed yet. Here we are in the beautiful Cape Cod kitchen of my aunt, Bridget Delaney Masana. Happy to have you here. What do you have planned for peace, love, and soup today? We are baking Italian wedding soup. It's really very simple. The main ingredient is tiny meatballs, which are made with one pound of ground beef, one pound of ground pork, two eggs, one cup of Italian breadcrumbs, one half cup of Parmesan cheese, two-thirds cups of fresh parsley chopped finely, salt and pepper, and six cloves of garlic. We really were generous with the garlic. And being an Italian, it's in every one of your dishes? Um, well, not our baked goods, but other than that. <laughs> well, I, I beg to differ. Your Christmas cookies are a little garlicky. <laughs> Which ones? The fig cookies or the biscotti? <laughs> the meatballs take the longest period of time, and so you mix all that together and make a half a teaspoon meatballs. And they call for these to be fried, but they will fall apart because they're so small. And so for the most part, I baked the meatballs today for about 15 minutes. And I had 400 degree heat. I turned them once in the middle and they will finish cooking in the soup. Great. And then with the soup, we have two and a half cups of carrots, two and a half cups of onion chopped, two tablespoons of garlic, 16 cups of chicken broth, Italian seasonings, which is oregano, basil, a little pepperoncino, and some salt and pepper, and a cup and a half of acina de pepe pasta, which is a very tiny pasta, which is always found in this soup. And then 16 ounces of fresh spinach, which we will add at the very end once the soup is all ready to go. Let's do it then. So we're going to start. First, we are going to saute the onion, the carrot, and the garlic into some of that oil, which already has the flavoring of the meatballs, and never throw it out. No, no, no. My mother always loved to put this in anything that she made that she wanted a lot of flavor in. 100%. So tell us a little history about this soup. I grew up in a real Italian immigrant family. My father came when he was 11. My mother was born here a year after her parents arrived. And this was something that we had at all the weddings. And the little meatballs, that's really the only thing that takes time from the soup. And it's to teach patience. And so you want the bride to be patient. I'm not sure we agree with that in this current day and age. And it's also a very nice communal 
activity. We never cooked alone. We always cooked with family and friends. Cooking together was all part of growing up and we enjoyed that. Those carrots look really good. The onion is nice and mellow. Hear that sizzling sound of deliciousness. So we're gonna add the oregano, some pepperoncina, and dried basil. Adding some pepper and some salt. It's a squeaky salt grinder. <laughs> it is. Now we are going to add 32 ounces of chicken broth, and this has to come to a full boil. Once we've gotten it to a full boil, then we're going to add the meatballs and the little pasta. And you want this to be brothy. This is a very light soup. Gotcha. And this would only be one of many courses, of course. Right. You had to have your salad. You had to have your spaghetti. You always had some kind of fried meat. And then, of course, many desserts. Cannolis, vinolada, we would have cookies, and the almonds that were covered in candy. Those I remember from many of my mother's Italian family's gatherings. They were always present. Always, always. I think I had a Christmas dinner with you and George. Um, when was oh, that? That was the seven fishes. It was Christmas Eve. Yes. yes. And you guys chowed down on the whole thing, left nothing to chance. <laughs> So this is going to take a little bit of time to come to a boil, and then we'll add the other items. Wonderful. Well, maybe this is a good time to share your COVID experience. What's your recollection? So at the start of COVID, I was between jobs, but eventually in July of 2020, I started working in early intervention. Early intervention serves children birth to three who have medical or other kind of learning disabilities, physical disabilities, emotional disabilities. And we were exclusively telehealth until March of this year. And then we began some visits in person, but only with safety precautions. Early intervention is a federally funded program. Every state manages it differently. In Massachusetts, it's through the Department of Public Health. And this is considered health care. And so with family permission, we'll bill their insurance. But if they have no insurance, the Department of Public Health covers costs. So families are encouraged to get the services if their child needs it. And obviously, early intervention can really impact a child's development. It's a very important program and process to help children. And the federal government recognizes that, which is why it's across the country. Thank you for sharing. All right, back to the soup. It's smelling good in here. It really is. Up, up, up. What am I missing? It's time to put the meatballs in. Yes. And then we're going to add the noodles in slowly, stir in so that it gets all mixed around. Give it a chance to cook. In 10 minutes, it'll be done. Got it. Can I ask you a question? I don't mix meats that often, but Italian cooking really does. And why is that? I think it is a sign of wealth, a sign of holiday and celebration, but you didn't do that on a regular basis. Okay. When we made meatballs, it was with beef. When we made spaghetti sauce, it was very simple, but Christmas spaghetti sauce, we would have veal and beef. And that's also, you know, Italian cooking is very regional. So what happens in Sicily is not what you would find in Tuscany or in Genoa or other parts of Italy because it is such a long peninsula. And your family is from what region? We're from Sicily, both my parents. 
My dad was raised in Tedesini, which is a very small town. It sits right on the Mediterranean. It's just outside of Palermo with probably more churches than anything else. <laughs> and my mother's family from Alcamo, the bigger city, to Tedesini, you know, Italy was very poor. And actually, my grandfathers on both sides of my family came to America, like so many immigrants around the world do, just to support their families. So they lived in the Detroit area in a section known as Little Italy. But both my grandfathers died young. My grandmothers had to raise their children and uh, manage on their own and did a lovely job of that. So some years ago, my husband and I went to Sicily and we enjoyed much of the cuisine, but I also learned a great deal um, that much of the food that I thought was normally Italian was actually very much influenced by the Greek, the Roman, the North African, the Turkish influences. We really did the whole main cities of Sicily, but even in Sicily, the foods were very regional, which was fun. Every town is unique. The people always welcomed us, and it is just breathtakingly gorgeous. I would not go in July. It would be way too hot. Well, thank you for sharing your Italian roots and recommendations. See how the meatballs have risen to the top? Oh, yeah, yeah. And now we are just adding the spinach, and you don't need to chop that spinach. You want it to get absorbed into that broth. Turn it off, and we will just leave it in the pot. So that is ready to go. Yum. We kept a little bit of parsley for garnishment at the end. And we'll, of course, add a little Parmesan cheese. Heaven. Now we sat down at the table to have this beautiful Italian wedding soup. It's very hearty. Yeah. Mmm. Well, this passes the test. Right. It has good flavor. The meatballs are extremely tender. Actually, they absorb some of the broth. So those tiny little meatballs grew in size in the soup. The spinach is abundant. I think if I was to make this particular recipe again, I would use a little bit less noodles because I like it a little brothier. But you tell me, Brian. All right, I will, I will. Mm. The meatballs are extremely moist, but with a nice little crunchy exterior. And also the pasta is plumped up. It's so delicious. I think this is definitely one to make for others. To celebrate around the table. Well, again, so much thanks for spending this time and making this amazing soup with me and for me. And I know I'm going back for seconds. I love you. Love you too, Brian. I wish you all the best. Be well and eat well. Always. In Italian, we have to eat well. Mangiani. I love you at 15 and still all I want Did you know Is our fingers to touch That would be enough Savor the moment As the world begins its third year of living with COVID-19, Peace, Love & Soup has assembled some self-care tips and busted myths to help in your continuing acclimation. Did you know if you feel tired, it is not your imagination? Our brains are essentially working on overdrive to solve this complex puzzle that is our rapidly changing environment. Battling through the fatigue of virus protocol is exhausting. Couple that with the demanding work and emotional pains of our long overdue social, political, and environmental uprisings. And it's a lot. 
The good news is, COVID has made it clear that we're resilient and truly in it together. Did you know, when we take care of ourselves, we can better care for one another. A key component of mental health and stress prevention is practicing gratitude. Try journaling or reflecting during quiet moments of the day. While washing your hands, call to mind some things for which you're grateful. A snoring pet by your side, the rich aroma of coffee, or some warm bubbling laughter. Maintain regular contact with those close to you. Give a quick call or send a text to a friend. When you are able, offer support to others in your community. It feels good to help. Listen to the recommendations of national and local authorities, but minimize screen time. News overload can cause distress and fear, which can be displaced in ways hurtful to others. COVID-19 doesn't discriminate, so don't place blame on any ethnic groups for the virus. Remember, be kind. Keep up with daily routines and make new ones. Allocate time for work, play, and rest. Healthy eating, personal hygiene, and regular exercise. Brian, as you know, many gyms have reopened with precautions, mm -hmm. and you being a swimmer will be happy to hear that COVID is not transmissible through water. Well, speaking of water, Tave, hot baths will not protect you from the coronavirus. They will, however, cure a bone chill and relax your mind while soothing away sore aches and pains. And if you have no patience for a long soak, a heated blanket or an old-fashioned hot water bottle will do the trick. Did you know most people fully recover from COVID-19? But those with lingering symptoms have what is known as long COVID. They may struggle to perform everyday activities due to memory and concentration problems, trouble sleeping and speaking, and overall depression and anxiety. Long COVID has gone from being an unknown condition to one now recognized and protected by the Americans with Disabilities Act. Scientists have different theories for why long COVID happens, when it begins, and how long it lasts. Research on its prevalence is hugely varied, so much so that peer-reviewed reports claim anywhere from 3 to 80% of people who've gotten COVID could have extended symptoms. Did you know cooking builds confidence and provides comfort? Since COVID began, home cooking is up 70% around the globe, making for better nutrition, money saved, and less plastic in our environment. And we know soup is a cure-all, but let's clear up some COVID food myths. Garlic is great, but does not ward off COVID. Ginger alleviates nausea and morning sickness, but not COVID. Hot peppers add flavor, but their antibacterial capsaicin can't cure COVID. And while drinking wine is fine and brandy just dandy, alcohol consumption won't prevent COVID. And please, we beg of you, don't drink bleach. And finally, did you know people are devoting more time to hobbies? From puzzling to knitting, dancing to singing, learning an instrument to finally writing that novel. There are many ways to occupy downtime. Be adventurous, be playful, have sex. Fun fact, after Hong Kong's Ocean Park Zoo closed its doors to the public, two pandas, Ying Ying and Li Li, were finally able to mate after 10 years of unsuccessful attempts. Aww. Now that's what I call acclamation. Loving feels like being myself again.
You've been listening to Peace, Love, and Soup, audio nourishment for the heart and mind, with Brian Delaney and Tave Fashe Drake. And finally, we'd like to leave you with this quote. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. Desmond Tutu. Thanks again to Annie's friend for her new album, I Am Happy Now, It's Not How I Remember. Find her on Spotify, Apple Music, and all other streaming services. And most importantly, thank you for listening. Until next time, you just never know where peace, love, and soup will turn up. Literally, it's time to travel, folks. Now go get acclimated. It's so easy to apologize myself away with you. Even Still hungry for more? Go to our website, peaceloveandsoup.com, for past shows, photographs, and recipes galore. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review or two. Be sure to share our link with all your friends so they can join us at the table for some peace, love, and of course, soup. your name? My name is Annie. A-U-D-I-N-D-A.